In your bulletins this morning, you found a slip of paper that has the names of our search committee. They were intentionally put in your bulletin, intentionally so that we could take them, each of us, home with us, place them on a mirror, place them on the refrigerator, place them in a place of prominence so that you can take a time each and every day to pray over this list. Uh, these men and women have committed themselves to lead us in a search for a pastor, and it is our part to pray for them each and every day. So do that. We encourage you to, as you see them in the hallways, not to take a bat or, you know, encourage them, put your arm around them, love them a little bit, because uh, they will be committing a significant part of their life to this task. This morning we begin a study in the book of Jonah. I will preach the first chapter, Chris will preach the second chapter, I'll preach the third, and he'll preach the last. So we know who's here and who's not here, and we got it all marked down, so we can go through that. But it's a great book. Sometimes it's hard to find, so I found that the easiest way to do it is just take your Bible, let it fall open. 90% of the time it'll fall to the middle, and if you'll go to the right from there, past Ezekiel and Daniel, past Jose, Joel, and Amos, you'll find yourself at Obadiah and then Jonah. An easy place to, to search for that which God has for us today. During the 60s and 70s, during the Vietnam War, one of the things that uh, every 18-year-old was a little stressful over was that he had to go down to the selective service and file for the draft. And uh, it got so complicated that they had a lottery. And if your number came up, you got a great letter from the President of the United States. You knew at that particular point you needed to do something quickly. Okay. Some went out and joined other branches of the service. Others waited for the letter saying, show up at Fort Benning. And they would spend two years in the Army. Some men decided that the way to deal with it was to run to Canada or Mexico. Some because of conviction, some because they just simply did not want to go to the war. Those that were drafted found themselves spending two years on their way to Vietnam. Percentages of wounded and killed in action were great. And some couldn't take the stress, and they would go AWOL. And after 30 days, we would declare them deserters. And in those days, we would pick you up. We would call the FBI. We would call the local sheriff in your town because we knew where you were going. You were going home. And if you had a girlfriend, we knew where you were at because we knew you were going to go find your girlfriend. So we called the city. I used to do it, okay? So I knew what I was doing. Call home. He's coming your way. And we would pick them up, we would put them in jail, we would have them face a court-martial. 50,000 deserters during the Vietnam War. When you read the book of Jonah, you read an account of a prophet of God. A prophet of God who had been used by God. If you go and turn to 2 Kings, the 14th chapter, you'll find that Jonah is mentioned. His prophecy and the effect of his, his prophecy... But now God had given him a new mission, a new focus. And as he took that focus and as he thought about it, he began to meditate on it. 
And before long, as you read that passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 3, you'll find that Jonah decided that this mission just wasn't for him. He decided to, to leave, to quit, to just go, Lord, I just can't do this. Well, you know, God still calls today. And God still touches his people. And he reaches out and gently persuades us. And we have a choice in our life on what we're going to do with the calling of God. And many of us were called when we were young. Many of us have experienced the calling of God as we've grown older. But it puts us in conflict between our will and the will of God. And as you look at verse 1 and 2, you'll see the calling. That calling that calls upon us to serve God. And when I look at that, I find there's a difference in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. I find that between chap, uh, verse 2 and verse 3, something happens to Jonah. Jonah receives the message of God. He takes it into himself. He understands the message of God. And something within him motivates him and pushes him and drives him to run. But you know, as I look at that passage of Scripture, I find that the word of the Lord comes unto Jonah. Jonah knew God. Jonah knew the voice of God. Jonah had experienced the conversations with God. He had experienced communications with Him. He knew His voice. As you look at Scripture, you'll find that God spoke throughout Scripture in many, many ways. Almost 250 times it says, And the word of the Lord came to Abraham. And the word of the Lord spoke to Noah. And the word of the Lord spoke to Ezekiel. And the word of the Lord, time and time again, God spoke to his people. And Jonah knew that. But God did not only have to use his voice, but we find that God manifested himself, manifested his will in a burning bush. He manifested his will in a donkey. He manifested his will by using other people to communicate the message. Jonah knew it was from God because he knew that every mission, every requirement, every calling had to be authenticated. It had to be verified. We had to know that it was truly from God. You know, as I look at the Word of God and as I look at us today as Christians, I realize that God calls us And many times we are confused. We're not sure if it's the voice of our parents, if it's the voice of our grandparents, is it the voice of our preacher, is it the voice of someone around us, is it just a desire in our heart that's calling us, is it God speaking to me? Paul talks about it in Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 1 through 2, and he says that it's imperative that we authenticate God's call. He says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to do what? Able to test and prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We can know God's will. We can know it in our lives. We can be in the perfect will will of God. We can be in that place that we know that our life is pleasing and honoring to Him. We can know that all that we do brings glory to His name. We know that He is dwelling within us. We can be in that sweet spot. You know what that sweet spot is, don't you? 
If you played baseball, it's that swing that hits the ball just at the right time, at the right place on the bat, and goes as far as it can go with all the strength that's within you. It's that sweet spot that when you take that driver out and you bring it back and it goes into the ball, it is right in the center to give its maximum flight. It's that sweet spot. And we as Christians ought to find that place of sweet blessing, that place of peace, that place of security, that place of knowing God loves us in his will, his perfect will. When we authenticate the will of God, it's first by having our minds and our souls change, transform, Paul says. But one of the tests is that is the calling consistent with the word? When God called out to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh, when he called him, it was the responsibility of Jonah to determine, is this the word of God? And is it consistent with who God is? As I look at that, I realize that the message is to go and to call the city to repentance. The message of God has been to repentance all through history. Through the Old Testament and the New Testament, the message of God, the center of God's will, is that men and women repent, get right with God. It is consistent with His Word. Is it consistent with His nature? What is the nature of God that when this calling comes in our life, when God calls us to do something, when He gives us a mission, is it in accordance with His Word and is it in keeping with His nature? Notice Jeremiah 15, 19. He says, Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. The nature of God is what? The nature of God and the will of God and the desire of God for all mankind is that he first repent and that his grace be applied and that he live his life to the obedience of God's word and to his will. So the message that comes to Jonah is, is consistent with the word of God. It's consistent with the nature of God. But as you look at that, you realize that it has to be confirmed by the spirit of God. 1 John, the fourth chapter, verse 1 through 3 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. We need to have the calling of God confirmed in our lives. You know, when God calls us to full-time ministry, when he calls us, it is a confusing time at, at many points in our development. We're really not sure if that's what God wants us to do. We're really not sure. You know, some were called at a young age. Some were called in midlife. Okay, when God calls you in midlife and you've got a job and you've got kids and you've got houses and you've got investments and you've got responsibilities, God's calling you to leave all that, to forsake it all and follow him wherever he would have you to go. And where is that? I don't know, Jimmy. I don't know. That's a hard place to be. You know, I don't know, Lord, but wherever it is, 
My son-in-law is from Texas, okay? And there's no place in the world like Texas. It's bigger there. It's badder there. You know, it's hotter there. It's drier there. It is biggest. And the Lord called him to Florida. Ungodly Florida. Where they don't wear clothes and, you know, where it's raining every second and then it's drying and all this alligators walking up in your yard. You know, it's, it's just, it's got to be from the devil. At least according to those from Texas. Okay. And he was determined when God called him to Florida, this was what God wanted. The day he moved into Florida, he went, God wants me in Texas. I know God wants me in Texas. He wants me in Texas so bad that when my children are born, I'm going to take Texas dirt and put under the delivery bed so they can be born in Texas. God calls you sometimes to Florida. He sometimes calls you where there is no mom and dad. He sometimes calls you where it's cold and when you like the hot. He sometimes calls you to the hot when you like the cold. He sometimes calls you to small places and sometimes to big places. He sometimes calls you to fill up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven seats in the choir and a lot of seats in the orchestra. God calls in different ways. He may call you to teach a Sunday school class. A Sunday school class of sixth grade boys. Sixth grade anything is challenging. Okay. But sixth grade boys, they will challenge your soul. They will challenge your knowledge. They will challenge your spirit. But God calls men and women to sixth grade boys. God calls to Wednesday night programs. God calls to children's choirs. God calls each and every one of us. And as I look at that, I realize that we have to verify, authenticate the Spirit. When the calling requires action. Notice in Jonah, he says to arise, go and cry. He says to arise, get prepared, get up, get cleaned up. Get all your supplies, get your map, get whatever you need because you're going on a journey. And you ought to go where? You ought to go northeast. You ought to go northeast 550-some miles into the desert. And it takes 30 days to get there. Not right there would have gotten me. Okay. First of all, there is no car. First of all, there is no plane. You have to walk that 550 miles in the desert. And then when you get there, you get to this city of Nineveh that is renowned. It is the Gotham of the world. It is the wicked. It is the violent. It is the the most painful place for a young Jewish boy. And God's saying, go. That's where I want you to minister. I want you to go to Alabama. God, Lord, are you out of your mind? They speak funny down there. Well, you speak funny where you're at. God calls us to this. And he tells us to go. And then he told Jonah to cry, to have passion. You know, preaching the word of God is with passion. 
It's with love. It is because God has changed us and he has moved in us and he has placed a message in us and it is imperative that we share that message. We have to preach if God's called us to preach. Inform them that they are wicked and that their wickedness has come before me. I read that passage of Scripture and I realize that the sins of the world, that the sins of individuals come before the Father, that God knows what's going on in our life. And we know that Satan has been the accuser of many and that he has stood there and he has accused the saints time and time again. But the calling has an objective, the city of Nineveh on the Tigris. It is now the modern city of Mosul. Mosul was a, is a city today that is a very violent city. We, we lost a lot of soldiers in that city. They were, they were a violent people historically and a violent people today. A city that some have estimated to be 600,000 with about 1,500 guard towers around it and with a land base of about 60 miles but it sort of reminds me of Atlanta, you know. Atlanta is that you can go into Atlanta and get around with it fairly decent, but when you get out into the outskirts, it just seems to keep stretching. And Nineveh was that type of city. And God called Jonah to that city. And God calls today. I was talking to a young man that was looking at the mission field, our mission field, as Southern Baptists. And the mission board began to talk to him, man. They said, well, what we would like for you to do is consider the Kurds in northern Iraq. And I went, are you kidding me? And this particular person has a family and has little children. And they said, we want you to go to the Kurds in northern Iraq. And I'm going, are you out of your mind? The Kurds in northern Iraq? Well, we'll give you another option. Go to Turkey. Learn the language, and then we'll send you to Germany so that you can minister to the, to the Turks that are in Germany. I went, are you kidding? Who's watching the Turks in Germany? The CIA, the Secret Service, the German Interpol, because everybody thinks they are terrorists. And so now I'm going to have this family embracing and loving the Turks who are going to, you know, that are under the microscope. And who could be what? terrorists i went lord you got it what's the other option there's got to be another option in this one okay well we'll have you go to israel and study for a year and go to london i went i can like that one that one that one to minister to the jews the jewish population in london and the lord began to rattle my chain a little bit over this okay Yes, Dyke, you want to go to the comfortable places. You want to go to the safe places. You want to go to the secure places. But you know, sometimes God calls us to those others, to those other places. And that's what was happening here in the book of Jonah. God's calling him to another place. 
We believe in a living God. We believe that God speaks today. We believe that God calls today. We believe that God sends a direct message and that he's focused and specific in his calling. We believe that his word, that that calling is revealed in his word. As we read God's word, we talk about reading through the Bible. We talk about memorizing scripture. And one of the reasons that we do that is that we believe the book is real. We believe that it's alive. We believe that it breathes. We believe that God can speak through the book. And then we don't want to read it. We don't want to listen to it. And we wonder why we're not in the will of God. God can speak through the book. He can speak through the spoken word. One of the reasons we preach is that we believe that God can take the message and that he can apply it to the heart and soul and to the very essence of who we are as individuals. He can reach people. When I shoot over here, God has an ability to shoot over here. You would be amazed at how many times people will catch us after church and go, man, you really, you really touched this subject. And I'm going, I don't think that was even in my notes. How did I touch that subject? They heard it. By the Spirit of God moving through the Word. God speaks through the Word. He reveals Himself. It is the demanding. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.16. He says, Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If involuntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. Chris has been called to preach. Jimmy's been called to preach. The question in the ordination service is what? What do we ask? What should we ask? If we don't ordain you today, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go back to school and become a professor. You can't go back to school and be a professor. If God's called you to preach, you've got to preach. And if you want to talk to these guys right now, you want to talk to them what the frustration is, is that they're not up here this morning. Okay? Only problem is I've been called to preach too. So my frustration is just as great. Okay? Okay, i got to preach too. So we got three people that got to preach. I run the schedule. Okay? Okay? James is going. James, James says no. James says, I don't have that calling, okay? He's confirmed it, it's authentic in his life. He knows that, okay? But if you've been called, you will find a place to preach. If God's called you to teach a Sunday school class, you will find a place to teach that Sunday school class. If God's called you to be the doorkeeper of the house of God, you will find a door to take care of. God will compel you in that spirit. And so he says that we ought to understand that calling. But the amazing thing about it is, is that something happens between verse 2 and verse 3, and I believe that Jonah goes through a decision-making matrix. Have you worked a decision-making matrix? Okay, one of the things that we fail to do many times with our kids is teach them how to make decisions. But we need to teach our kids and teach ourselves how do we do that. And many of us have been taught, okay, you take all the facts, you take all the assumptions, you develop the, uh, the options, uh, an option and a, a course of action, and you can even mathematically, you have to take math, okay, you can mathematically come up with the number. I love that because I get to set the variance, okay. 
And so I can say, this is important to me, and I give it a five, and this is not as important to me, and I give it a four. And sometimes that math just doesn't come out the way I like it, and I have to go back and change the numbers. Okay? But you see, something happens to Jonah during verse 2 and 3. Between verse 2 and 3, he does a decision matrix. And when he does a decision matrix, he gathers those facts and he makes some assumptions. And when we make those decisions upon the calling of God, we have to understand that many times when we reject the calling of God, it's based upon faulty data. It's based upon this rebellious will. The amazing thing about God is that God doesn't force us to do anything. God's not going to force you to get in a pulpit. God's not going to force you to get in the choir. God's not going to force you to teach a Sunday school class. God's not going to force you to take a place on a committee. He's not going to do that. You have a will, but you can have a rebellious will. And when we have that rebellious will, it's because we don't understand God's will. We think that we can disobey it and then just go ask forgiveness. You know? I can just go out and sin. God's promise, right? God said that he's faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. So if I sin, I'll just ask God to forgive me. If I'll just reject his calling, I'll just say, God, forgive me. It doesn't work that way, does it? Paul addresses that in Romans 6, verse 1 through 3. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You can, unwill, you can rebel against God, but you will not be at ease in Zion. You can rebel against God, but the pleasure and the, the peace of God will not flood your soul. You will be uneasy. You will be un, uh, disruptive in your own spirit. If you have that rebellious will, you just don't understand God's will. You've forgotten that the power, there's power in the will of God. Notice Jesus in, James the fourth cha- in John the 4th chapter, verse 34. Jesus says this thing about the will of God. He says, my food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. God feeds us by our obedience to his will. He strengthens us. He gives us motivation. He gives us courage. As we do the will of God, we have that strength. We're able to stand against the foes that may be about us. When we know we're in the will of God, the will of God also brings us enlightenment. John, the seventh chapter, verse 16, he says, And Jesus answers, My teaching is not my own. He comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, He will find out whether my teachings come from God or whether I speak on my own. In other words, Jesus says that if you'll do the will of God, truth will be revealed unto you. That God will show you that this is true. But you have to do what? You have to obey. You have to find the will of God. Notice the third thing that the will of God does. It enables us to overcome the attacks. In Hebrews 13, chapter verse 21, he equips us. When I know the will of God, he equips me to do his will. He gives me what I need to overcome the disappointments, the disillusionments, the unhappiness that comes from all around. It is his equipping that gives me what I need to do what he wants for me in my life. 
But you see, when we have that rebellious spirit, when we have that rebellious will, we don't understand God's will. We don't understand God's word. You know, we begin to think that we can take it or leave it. Well, it's, a, it's an old book, and it's written in old language, and it's hard to understand, and the theology can get complex, and I don't always understand all the uh, focus of the stories and the accounts that are there. So I'll read it if I can. I, I'll deny it if I need to. Uh, I really don't see the significance of it. It's just a suggestion, just an option. But notice what Luke says, Luke 6. Why do you, and this is Jesus speaking, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. Jesus is saying, and they were coming to him, if you'll do my will, if you will obey God's word, then I will show you the truth. I will show you that it is like a man who builds his house on a firm foundation, and that when the storms come and when the floods come, they won't be destroyed. Notice the other thing that a rebellious will does. It gives us a wrong understanding of circumstances. Jonah decides what? I'm not going to Nineveh. And so he decides to go to Joppa. And it takes two days, one to two days to get down to Joppa, about 15 miles a day walking And as he takes down that way, he's looking. Okay? He's disobeyed God. He's decided to go the opposite direction. And he's waiting for what? Lightning. Okay? He's waiting for God to strike him down on that road. He knows that he's in disobedience to God. He knows he's rebelling. He knows that God understands that. And he's looking every step. And guess what? He gets the joppa, and he's okay. God didn't do anything. He goes to Joppa to find a boat that will take him away. And guess what he finds? There just happens to be a Phoenician boat that comes in and harbors and is ready to go out, and he finds a boat. And he goes up to the captain, and he says, Hey, I need to go wherever you're going, as far away as I can. And he says, That'll be $1,000 in Jonah looks in his purse, and guess what he finds? He has enough money. This is not bad. Haven't been struck by lightning. I got a boat. I got enough money for the fare. And so he gets on the boat, and where does it go? He goes down, and he falls asleep. He doesn't have to use any meds to go to sleep. He doesn't have to count sheep. He doesn't have to do any of the things that we feel like we have to do to go to sleep. He falls asleep like a baby. And he thinks, hmm, not bad. God must not care. Sometimes we interpret the circumstances around us and our rebellious will as being God's approval on what we're doing. We do things and nothing happens. We make choices and nothing happens. We get ourselves involved in situations that we shouldn't be involved in and nothing happens and nobody finds out. Yet. Our rebellious will just doesn't understand what God has for us. It doesn't understand God's grace. You know, as you read that passage of Scripture, what did Jonah believe? 
Jonah believed that the gospel and that the message of salvation and that Israel was God's chosen people. It is us. We are the ones. It's not for the Gentiles. It's not for the ungodly. It's not for Nineveh. We are God's chosen people. And we restricted it, and the Jewish nation restricted the grace of God. They had their own personal biases. And that same bias existed in the early church. It came to a crisis in the early church. In the early church, it came so bad that God had to come to Peter in a vision and send down a sheet filled with unclean food and told Peter to do what? Eat it. And Peter went, you're out of your mind, Lord. You, yeah, I am not eating that pig. Okay? It's not going to happen. He rebelled against it. But God touched his heart, didn't he? God touched his heart. He led the uh, soldier to the Lord, the centurion. And God touched him in such a way that he testified that before the church. And notice in Acts, the 10th chapter, verse 11, after Peter's testimony, in chapter 11, verse 18, he says, When they heard this, they had no further objection and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance into life. God had to shake Peter, the rock. God had to shake Peter because of his own bias. God had to shake the early church because they had restricted the grace of God. And when God revealed through them, through the testimony of Peter, the grace was for all the church opened its doors. Our unwillingness many times is based upon our misunderstanding of the grace of God. But notice lastly, the, the journey down. There's some discussion on whether Jonah really understood that he could run from God. But you know that passage in Psalms, the 139th chapter, verse 7 says, where can you go? You know, can you climb into the highest heavens and hide from God? He's there. Can you go into the deepest bowels of the earth and hide from God? He's there. What can you do that will hide you from the great God of all that we know? God is there. Jonah knew that. Jonah knew that. Jonah knew that he was rebelling against God and he couldn't hide from him. But what did Jonah really want to do? Jonah knew that his rebellious spirit would not allow him to be the prophet of God in his house. He could not be the prophet of God because everybody knew he was rebelling against God. If you're sinning, if God has got conviction in your life, guess where you don't want to be? You don't want to be here. Why? Because everybody knows you. They know you. Preacher knows you. Sunday school teachers know you. The choir knows you. Everybody knows you. And you're convicted simply by that. Have you ever saw people that have gone through difficulties in their life, have made some bad choices, and you invite them to church and they go, I don't know. I can't do that. Jonah couldn't be in Israel. They knew he was a prophet. They knew they would know that he was rebelling against God. He couldn't stand being there. And so what did he do? He ran. He ran to Joppa. Joppa, that two-day journey to that seaport, that was what? West and not northeast, okay? It was only a two-day journey, not a 30-day journey. 
It was a place that he could jump off and go to Tarsus. And some discussion over whether that's Tarsus in Asia Minor or whether that's the Tarsus in Spain. Many believe that it was in Spain because Spain uh, at its southernmost coast was considered to be the end of the world. And so Jonas deciding to go as far as he can go. That it took some people three years round trip to go to Tarsus. And he was going to get on the ship and he was going to go as far as he could. Why? Not that he was running from God, but guess what? Nobody would know he was a prophet of God. Nobody would say, oh, there goes Jonah. Yeah, I know him. Do you know what he's doing? No. He could go to, he could go to Spain and nobody would know it. He could walk around in his fine clothes and everybody would say, man, isn't Jonah a good guy? He pays his bills. He does good things around the community. He's a great guy. He got into the, ran to the belly of the, of the boat. Away, away, the journey down. The journey down. You know, as I look at that passage of Scripture, I find that many times we run from the will of God. And when we run from the will of God, when we run from obedience to God, it's hard for us to be with the people of God. It's hard for us to be there. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Have you ever uh, participated in an activity that you knew your parents didn't agree with? You didn't want to go home, did you? College students, you're going to go. You're going to go off to college. You're going to do some things. It's going to be hard to go home. Okay? Because you're going to know mama don't like that. You're going to pick up some words. Have you ever seen kids when they pick up words for the first time and they come home and use them and they know mama doesn't and dad doesn't like to use it? It's hard to go home. It really is. My dad, I've told you, he loves to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. (laughs) And when we would go and not be necessarily enthusiastic about going to church on Sunday night with the ten people that were there, he would just look at us and I knew it. And I'd go put a tie on, and I'd go. What did Paul say? Involuntarily, okay, I would go. Why? Because I knew what was happening in them, their lives. You know, when we journey down, when we run from God, we're unable to pray. When we move from God, we're not able to even go to church. When we move from God, we're unable to witness. When we move from God, we can't give our money. When we move from God, all that we used to do, all that we enjoyed, all the peace that we had seems to vanish away. We live in guilt. We live in discomfort. We live in an unsecure world. When you run from God, the question this morning is, are you running from God? Has God called you to salvation and you keep saying no? Has he called you to service and you keep saying no? Has he called you to full-time service and you just said, I am not going, I can't do it. Jimmy can do it. He's stronger than I am. I can't do that. If God's called you, You may not have gotten struck by lightning. You may be able to find a boat that will take you away. You may be able to pay the fare. You may even be able to go to sleep. 
But next week, Chris is going to tell you what's going to happen. Because God will find you. Shall we pray? Father, I pray now that as we take this time together, that your spirit as you lead us will take us to that place of repentance, to that place of salvation, to that place of commitment. And Father, we know we can't hide from you. But Father, touch our hearts. Make us willing to surrender all that we are and all that we need before you. For this we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.